Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. How do you know the Titanic really sank on April 15th, 1912? How do you know it really happened by hitting an iceberg? No one alive today was there when it sank. But does this mean that it never happened? Do we need to swim to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean to see it with our own eyes and to touch it before we will believe? Approximately 1,500 passengers died. Around 700 people survived the tragedy. Those survivors were eyewitnesses to the sinking of that massive ship. And newspapers at that time recorded their comments about what they saw. No person today questions the sinking of the Titanic because of the written records and the eyewitness reports and believing those things. And just like we believe and know the truth about the Titanic through eyewitness reports, the same is true of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, Paul gives us this record. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, and then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. John 20, verses 19 to 20 read, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus, and stood in the midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. The same day, verse 19 talks about here, is earth's greatest day, the glorious day of Christ's resurrection. Christ had appeared to Mary Magdalene, the other women who came to the tomb, to Peter and to the two on the road to Emmaus at this point on Resurrection Day. It is now the evening of Resurrection Day. When verse 19 records that the disciples were together, we know that Thomas was absent and that Judas had killed himself. So there were ten disciples present. According to Luke 24, the two followers from, from Emmaus were also among them, and there could have been even more people there. They were all together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. They had barricaded themselves in the upper room, remaining under the fear of the same fate as the Lord, of arrest and death at the hands of the Jewish authorities. The Greek word for fear is phobos, we get our term phobia from it, like one columnist's perspective of fear. All of us are born with a set of instinctive fears, of falling, of the dark, of lobsters, of falling in the dark on a bunch of lobsters, and of the words, some assembly required. The, the disciples had a phobia of the Jewish religious leaders in their fear the disciples were assembled together in secret at night with the doors shut and bolted 
And notice that the word doors is plural, meaning that they had locked both the gate into the house and also the door of the actual room where they were huddled. So they locked all the doors. As they were all speaking of the events of the day, listening to Peter explaining how he saw the Lord in Jerusalem, hearing the two from Emmaus tell of their encounter with the Lord on the road, suddenly, without warning, Christ appeared and stood in the middle of the room, and to calm them, he said, Peace be unto you. The Lord said, Peace be unto you to his disciples, and that's true for all believers. Peace be unto all believers. We have true eternal peace because Christ is risen. By his resurrection, we have the hope of everlasting life and our future resurrection. The disciples saw him and they heard him speak. Despite the doors being locked, Christ just appeared in the upper room. Nothing could keep him out. And John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, included the detail of the locked doors to teach of the different nature of Christ's resurrected body. His body was unlike Lazarus, whom Christ raised from the dead. Lazarus had been merely resuscitated, then lived with the same limitations, suffered illness and, or injury, and eventually died again. But Christ had a resurrected, glorified body. And his resurrected body, while still a completely human physical body, possessed supernatural qualities and could act independently of natural laws, which included being able to pass through the grave clothes and through a rock tomb with the stone still in front of its entrance, being able to vanish as he did before the two on the road to Emmaus, and being able to go through locked doors and just appear in a room like he did here in the upper room. And our bodies one day will be fashioned like unto his glorious body. These things that the Lord was able to do, we're going to be able to do one day in our resurrected glorified bodies. And unlike Lazarus who died again, when Christ arose in that new glorified body, he was raised to never die again. Romans 6, 9 teaches knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. And likewise, when our bodies are raised and glorified like unto His glorious body, we live as long as Christ lives. And as the Lord said in Revelation 1.18, I am He that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. When the Lord suddenly appeared in the upper room, Luke tells us in his account, but they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. These poor guys go from one fear to another fear, from fearing the Jewish authorities to fearing the Lord. They supposed that he was a spirit, but he wasn't a spirit. As the Lord told them in Luke twenty four thirty nine, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. Unlike Mary, who believed and embraced Christ at once, the disciples were slower to accept that it was really him and that it was really true. After the Lord told them to be at peace, he invited the disciples to examine the proof of his resurrection, and he showed his disciples his hands and his side. Christ had a real body after he arose. He possessed, possessed flesh and bones that could be touched. His body was physically resurrected like ours will be one day. 
Christ's body also bore the scars of the nails in his hand and feet and the scar of the spear in his side. He was resurrected to a perfect, glorified body, yet, according to God's purposes, the scars remained. And these scars of love will be a reminder for eternity of his sacrifice for us so that we might live together with him. Verse 20 says the disciples were glad and overjoyed at his presence when they saw the Lord. Earlier in John, in chapter 16, verse 22, the Lord told the disciples, Ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And this was the fulfillment of that promise the Lord made to his disciples. And it's a reminder to us how no one can take away our joy that we have in Christ. Because Christ is risen, we have a joy and hope in him that will never fade away, that could never be taken away from us. And the Lord is the source of our joy and gladness. And one day we will see the Lord ourselves, either at the rapture in the air or after we pass from this life. And we will see those nail prints in His hands and feet and the scar in His side. We will see our risen Savior face to face. And then you can insert your name in verse 20. Then was, insert your name, glad when He saw the Lord. The change in transformation in the apostles is proof that they saw and knew that Christ was risen from the dead. Before they saw Christ alive, they were in hiding, fearing for their lives. But after they saw the resurrected Christ, they boldly went out and preached Christ's resurrection. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and fearlessly told the crowd in Jerusalem that day that they had crucified their Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. In the power of the Holy Spirit, the apostles were resolute and courageous in declaring the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And such preaching cost them intense persecution, the loss of their possessions, and even of their lives. But they kept on preaching and did not stop making Christ's resurrection known. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Paul's epistle to the Philippians is a hardcover 220-page commentary written by Pastor Paul M. Sadler. There are few commentaries on the epistle of Philippians that approach the narrative on the basis of the distinctive character of Paul's special revelation. We have sought to give a fair and balanced interpretation of the writing, always bearing in mind what comes before and what follows after. You will find in your search for a further light on the truth that this work is woven throughout with practical applications for everyday Christian living. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 
1-800-273-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. John 20, verses 24 to 25 read, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. In verse 24, we learn how Thomas missed the appearance of the Lord on Resurrection Day. John wrote that Thomas was called Didymus. Didymus was the Greek equivalent of the Aramaic name Thomas, and both names, Thomas and Didymus, mean twin. So Thomas obviously had a twin brother or twin sister. Thomas, of course, has been given the nickname Doubting Thomas because of him doubting Christ's resurrection. We learn a a couple other things about Thomas from two other accounts in the book of John. And first, there was the time that Christ told his disciples that he was going to see Lazarus, even though Lazarus was already dead and buried. But the Lord was going to raise him from the dead. To do so meant that they would have to go to Judea and near Jerusalem. The last time the Lord and the apostles had been there, the Jews took up stones to stone Christ to death, but he escaped out of their hands. The disciples protested the fact of going near Jerusalem, telling the Lord, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? When the Lord insisted that they were going, Thomas cried out to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Thomas, Thomas, out of his loyalty and devotion to the Lord, was willing to give his life for the, for the Lord. But you could say, that Thomas doubted there as well because he was a little pessimistic and doubted that they were going to survive, but he was willing to go anyway and to die with Christ. Next, when Christ was talking about going to prepare a place for his disciples in his kingdom, he said he would come again and receive them unto himself. Then the Lord said, And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas, not knowing what that meant, looked around at the other blank faces around him, and then he bursted it out with, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And so you find out Thomas didn't mind speaking his mind. His adage was, if you don't understand something, say so and ask. So you learn things about Thomas in these things. His pessimism in his straightforward way tells you a little bit about him and why he reacted as he did to the Lord's resurrection. No explanation is given for Thomas's absence when the Lord first appeared to the disciples on Resurrection Day. John just states that he was not with them when Jesus came. When Thomas rejoined the disciples, they told him that they had seen the Lord. In verse 25, the tense of the word said in the original Greek means that the ten disciples kept telling him over and over that they'd seen the Lord, that he really was alive. But Thomas did not believe them. Though Thomas had heard the Lord's promises that he would rise again the third day, he refused to believe that he was really risen. It seems that 
Thomas took the death of Christ hard. And the idea of a resurrected Christ was too far-fetched for him. This being so, he didn't want to set himself up or open himself up to being disappointed again. One disappointment was enough in his mind. Thomas is very relatable because we've all experienced doubt. We too find it hard sometimes to imagine that God could surprise us. We too often walk with cautious steps in life. We often let logic override faith, and we question the things we cannot see. And we too make the same mistake that Thomas did in forgetting that impossible is one of God's favorite words to overcome. Thomas's doubting didn't spring from timidity, but from a reluctance to believe the impossible and a fear of being hurt twice, I believe. His realistic, pessimistic, and straightforward outlook on things caused him to utter a decisive reply and to give a condition that, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And I will not believe in the original Greek has the emphasis on the negative in that statement. It has the idea of I will in no way believe. I positively will not believe. Thomas wanted concrete proof. He felt that the news was too good to be true. He would not allow himself to hope until he could be sure that his hope would not be dashed. And it's been said that Thomas must have been from Missouri. The show me state. He needed to be shown before he would believe. And he he obstinately prescribed conditions which must be met and declared that he would not believe unless he saw and touched the Lord's scars in his hands inside. In his realistic ways, Thomas wasn't predisposed to believing in something as spectacular and glorious as Christ rising from the dead. And he was not going to believe apart from visual or physical evidence of it. And what's amazing to me is that Thomas refused to even consider believing the testimony of ten competent witnesses who had seen Christ with their own eyes, men who were his trusted friends, men who had no motive to deceive him. John 20, verses 26 to 29 says, And after eight days again... His disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Eight days later, the disciples were again gathered together. This time Thomas was present. The Holy Spirit again makes mention of the fact that the doors were shut, as he reemphasizes the supernatural character of Christ's resurrection body. Nothing now, however, is said of the disciples' fear of the Jews. Christ's 
first appearance unto them had calmed their hearts and taken away their fear of the Jews. The second appearance of Christ to the apostles as a group in the upper room was expressly made for the special benefit of Thomas. And this was grace and kindness. The Savior made the same entrance through the closed doors. He again stood in the middle of the room with them all. He came with the same greeting of of comfort, peace be unto you. This was done to reinforce to Thomas that what the other disciples had said about his appearance in the upper room eight days earlier was accurate and true. The Lord immediately gave his attention to the neediest man in the room, and the Lord was patient with the struggles of his heart. And that's a blessing, knowing that he did that with Thomas, because he does the same thing for us. The Lord came not to scold or to shame Thomas. He met him at the point of his weakness, came to help him overcome his doubts. Eight days earlier, the disciples heard Thomas's words, but there was an unseen listener. Christ knew and heard Thomas's dogmatic statement. Christ is a God, and as God, he is omnipresent and omniscient, knowing all things. And the Lord uses, uses Thomas's own words, showing that the Lord knew the prescribed conditions that he had laid for believing that Christ was risen from the dead. Therefore, Christ told him to look and to touch the nail prints in his hand and to thrust his hand into his side so he might accept the reality of his resurrection. The fact that the Lord told him to thrust his hand in the Lord's side shows the size of that wound and that this was a large scar. Christ gave Thomas exactly what he requested offering him a personal inspection of the marks of his sacrifice at Calvary. And he extended his hands for him to see and said, Behold my hands. The Lord dealt with Thomas in a very personal way and invited him to deal with his doubts by touching his hands inside. And I like to think of Thomas at this moment. (laughs) The color drained from his face, his eyes as big as saucers, speechless face-to-face with the risen Lord. And the Lord told Thomas, Be not faithless or unbelieving, but believing. He gives them both a negative rebuke and a positive exhortation. What the Lord had in view here, though, was about correcting Thomas's unbelief, but more so his character. He wanted Thomas to shake off this habit of doubting, to give up this unbelieving disposition that he needed to be more believing and more trusting. And at this moment, he needed to simply believe what he had thought before was impossible, that Christ was truly risen from the dead. The invitation to Thomas to fulfill the test and condition that he demanded was not taken up. There was no need to touch the scars in his hand or side. Thomas was overcome. He did not do as he boasted. There was no need to now. His doubts vanished. His reservations and hesitations were gone, and his heart was one. He was no longer doubting Thomas, because the truth and reality of Christ's resurrection was undeniable with his personal presence 
in that room. So Thomas renounced his doubt, declared his faith. The doubter is transformed into a worshiper, and all he could say was, My Lord and my God. And that is the absolute truth for who Jesus Christ is. He is both Lord and God. And Thomas's confession gave evidence of his faith in Christ, his subjection to him, his affection for him. Thomas recognized by the resurrection the lordship and deity of Jesus Christ. He recognized that he was alive, that he is Lord, that he is his God. And Christ did not correct him. He accepted what he said because it was accurate and true. That is who he is. He is Lord. He is God in the flesh. In John ten seventeen and 18, the Lord said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might, might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Christ had power to lay his life down when he pleased at the very moment that it was planned. And he had power to rise again three days later at the moment that it was planned. And Christ having the power to take his life up again and raise from the dead, having power over death as an irrefutable declaration of his deity that he is both Lord and God. Henry Morris wrote, The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is a false religion. If it did take place, then Christ is God, and the Christian faith is absolute truth. And our faith is absolute truth, because Christ is risen. The disciples and Thomas had the privilege of seeing Christ with their own eyes. The Lord told Thomas that because he had seen him, he believed that he was risen. But then Christ said, Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And that's you and I. Blessed are we who have not seen and yet have believed. We believe that Christ is risen from the dead. And as 1 Peter 1.8 puts it, Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Peter Marshall said this, No tabloid will ever print the startling news that the mummified body of Jesus of Nazareth has been discovered in old Jerusalem. Christians have no carefully embalmed body enclosed in a glass case to worship. Thanks be unto God we have an empty tomb. The glorious fact that the empty tomb proclaims to us is that life for us does not stop when death comes. Death is not a wall, but a door. Because the resurrection is true, it is the most significant thing in our world today. Because he lives, we shall live also. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society 
is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.BereanBibleSociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.